The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Church family, I'm so glad each and every one of you could be here today. Before we get started, I want to ask this question, be honest. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in church? Raise your hand. You be honest. Okay, there's two of you who are honest. The rest of you, liars, all right? No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) I have had a situation where, uh, on a couple of occasions, where it wasn't the preacher's fault, but I have fallen asleep in church. And I, I remember one specific time, I was probably 18 or 19 years old, and I had gone over to a friend's home. Uh, my friend was a PK, he was a pastor's kid, it was a Friday night, and uh, we had stayed up really late. We were playing games, uh, we were uh, watching movies, and just probably stayed up until like 2 or 3 in the morning, just having a good time, laughing, joking around, and we finally fell asleep about 2.30 or 3, and it was about 4.30 in the morning when the lights get flipped up, flipped on in our room, and his dad had come in. He was a pastor of the church in the area, and he woke us up, and he said, guys, we have a men's prayer breakfast this morning, and you are going to help make breakfast. And I'm thinking, oh man, if I would have known this was going on, I would have not signed up for this. And he shook us up, woke us up, dragged us over to the church, and me and my friend at five in the morning, we're making eggs and toast and all different things, and we finally served the men of the church uh, the breakfast, and And he said, okay, now breakfast is over. Uh, I'm going to be preaching to the men, so I want you to come in. I want you to listen to me preach. And so I was was sitting right here. But Joe's sitting right here, right up front. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you. This is awesome. I'm excited about this. And uh, I was sitting right there, and I was so exhausted. I'd only been sleeping about an hour and a half that night. And he's preaching along, and I'm sure it was a great message. But you know when you're tired. You know what I'm talking about. And you're just trying with every ounce of your being just to keep your eyelids open. I mean, that's, that's a win when you're that exhausted. I'm trying to keep my eyes open. And, and I can't tell you exactly what happened from that point forward. But at some point, I must have fallen asleep. And I'm, I'm a, I must have been asleep. And the next thing I heard, I was 18 years old, I heard, Hey, Josh, wake up! And I'm like, whoa, this startled me, man. A preacher called me out right in the middle of the message. And I opened my eyes. And you know when you wake up like that, you're just in this. You don't know where you are. You don't know what's going on. And I look up, and no joke, there is a hymnal. Now, for those of you who don't know what a hymnal is, back in the old days in churches, they used to have pews, and they'd have these hymnals. There were these big, giant books with every song that had ever been written throughout Christendom, written in these songs. They have these hymnals. And there was a hymnal that was being hurled through the air right at my head. I look up, and I'm just like, what is going on? And this pastor is throwing this hymnal at me, trying to wake me up. (laughs) I look up. Last minute, I grab the hymnal. I'm thinking, what kind of church is this? What is going on, you know? And I'm kind of dazed. I'm kind of asleep, and everything's going on. And he says, says, "Uh, you're falling asleep, son. And I was dazed. I was a little tired. I didn't know completely all that I was saying. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I stayed up all night, and then you woke me up, you know, four in the morning to help cook breakfast. And so when he said, you know, you fell asleep, I said, well, it's, it's kind of your fault. <laughs> well, everybody else in the church was thinking I was talking about his sermon. <laughs> I felt a little awkward. felt a little bad. I woke it up. And, and I was thinking about that, and it, it, there's a phenomenon that happens. I've been preaching long enough. I've been a pastor long enough. And it's always been interesting to me, just kind of interesting, how you could be preaching, you could be teaching the Word of God, and it's interesting to me how on one side of the room there might be somebody and they are sitting on the edge of their seat, they are just soaking in the teaching, they're just like glued in, zoned in, they're just, just soaking it in, and then in that very same room, the very same service, you have somebody on the other side of the room and they're just like, I mean, they're not getting a thing you said, and it might be that they work late or something, and I understand all that, but it's, it's interesting to me because it's funny how there's these, there's these phenomenon that happens when a preacher or teacher is proclaiming the Word of God. I, I've had times, you know, on one side of the room, you've got somebody, and they are just taking in the Word, and they are so encouraged by it, you know? The Word is getting taught, it's being proclaimed, and you can just see it in people's eyes. Like, it's just nourishing them, it's just feeding them, it's just like, they're just soaking it in, and then you have somebody, and I'll be looking around, I'll be preaching, and I'll somebody else and they're just kind of like, you know, staring off into space. One of my favorite things that happens, and nobody in here would ever do this, but I'll be preaching over here like this, and they'll be zoned in, they'll be looking at me, and then I'll run over here, and it's so funny because I'll look over, and those people are still like this. I'm over here. <laughs> it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting to me how you can proclaim the word of God, and you can tell one person is just loving it, and they love it. And you look over somewhere else, and you can just tell that guy is not liking 
what is being said. I mean, he's got that look on his face. His arms are crossed. He's not, he doesn't want anything to do with it. It's, just, it's an interesting phenomenon as a pastor. It's a, it's a perspective. I know most of you don't know that I can see you, but I can see you. <laughs> and sometimes it's really encouraging and sometimes not so much. I'll have times I'll be preaching along and you can just tell. Somebody's like, they're so motivated. They're like, man, I mean, you can just tell they want to charge hell with a squirt gun. I mean, they're just excited about everything that's going on. They're like, let's go, let's do this. And you got somebody over there and they're just bored out of their mind. Exact same message, exact same Bible, exact same preacher, two totally different responses. You have somebody sitting over here and you can just tell the word of God is just impacting them. It's just make, I mean, it's just doing something in their heart and in their life. And you got somebody over here and they're just like completely unchanged. It ain't doing a single thing. And here's what's curious to me about that. Same preacher, same Bible, same message, same truths, two totally different responses. Is it just me? It's like a little little interesting, isn't it? It's a little bit curious. And, And in our passage today, Jesus is going to address that exact phenomenon. Why does that happen? What's going on in that case? And so this passage addresses the interesting phenomenon by explaining how the condition of the heart affects how we experience the Word of God. And so I hope you'll allow me to kind of dive into that a little bit this morning. Before we do, I want to give you some definitions, all right? So let me give you the definition. When I talk about the condition of the heart, I want us to all be on the same page. What do I mean? When I say condition of the heart, I'm talking about the culmination of our, all of our motivations. I want you to think about what is it that motivates you the most? What, motiv- what drives you to do what you do and behave like you behave and act like you act and talk like you talk? So the condition of the heart is the culmination of your motivations. It's also the culmination of your values, what's important to you. Do you know that some of you value different things differently? What's important to you is different among different people. So when we talk about this condition of the heart, we're talking about the culmination of your values, your motivations, your priorities, what's important to you, what's not important to you. Some of you, this is important. For others of you, that's important. It's your affections, what, what, what's important to you. It's, it's your beliefs and, and your thoughts. All of this makes up what we call the condition of your heart. And I want you to ask yourself, what's the condition of my heart? What's the condition of what motivates me? What, what are my values? What are my priorities? You say, why is this important? Because according to the book of Proverbs, chapter number four, the condition of our heart, the condition of our values, our motives, our priorities, here's what the Bible says. It says, guard the condition of your heart, protect your heart. Why? Because out of your heart, out of your values, out of your motivations, out of of your beliefs, your worldview, out of the condition of your heart, the Bible says, are all the issues of life. Did you know everything that comes out of your life, every behavior, every word, every action, all of it stems from something that's going on inside of you? Something in your values, something in your motivation, something in the way you see the world. I know sometimes people will say to me, oh, pastor, I didn't mean that. Sometimes you'll say this to your spouse. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Well, I get what you, I get what you mean. But can I say this? Everything that flows out of your life stems from your heart. My mom used to say it this way. What's down in the well always comes up in the bucket. (laughs) That's some good wisdom, and it's truth. It's why God says, guard the condition of your heart, because out of it flows everything else. What we're going to learn from our passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number four, is what we're going to see is that if we are going to experience a fruitful, abundant life, How many of you, you want your life to be fruitful? You want it to be victorious? You want your life to be successful? If you want to experience that in your life, here's what this passage is going to teach us. You've got to start with the heart. Start with the heart. Let's get interactive for a moment. This is the beginning of our revival meeting. Can you you repeat that with me real loud, all right? Everybody say it together. Start with the heart. That's where we're going to start this meeting here today. We're going to start with the heart. This morning, we're going to look at four different heart conditions from this passage as revealed by Jesus in this parable that will help us to understand why some people, man, they soak in the word of God and other people are totally bored by it. 
why there's people over here who are just, man, there's so much fruit, there's so much joy, there's so much peace, there's so much love that flows from their life, and then there's this Christian over here, and there's no joy, and there's no peace, and they're just frustrated. And why the difference? They're under the same Bible. They're under the same teaching. Why is there such different responses? Because of the condition of the person's heart who is receiving it. Makes all the difference in the world, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, you're here for the first uh, service in our revival meeting. We do this once a year. It's kind of an annual tradition around here. At the beginning of the year, we like to take some time for extra time around God's Word. And so for the next few days, we're going to go to the Bible, have some Bible studies. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet again. Then tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, we're going to meet again. And then Tuesday night on 7 o'clock, we're going to meet again. We don't do this all the time. This is very rare for us. But we just want to start this year saturated in the Word of God, saturated in prayer, and really anticipate God doing big things in our own hearts and in the life of our church. And, and here's all I'm going to say to you. You say, well, should I come or not? Here, here, I'm not going to tell you whether you should come, but here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Would you just pray and ask the Holy Spirit? Say, Holy Spirit, do you want me to go tonight? That's it. And will you make me this promise? If the Holy Spirit says go, will you go? And if he says, no, you don't have to, then I, hey, I'm cool with that. <laughs> but would you just follow whatever the Holy Spirit wants for you? I'm, all I'm asking you is to ask. Just ask the Holy Spirit. That's it. If you'll do that, as a pastor, I'll be okay with it. And whatever happens will happen. But I do want you to promise that you will simply ask the Lord that single question. If you're visiting here with us today, we're, we're really glad that you're here. On your way in, you should have received the service program. There's a little connection card I'd encourage you to fill out. We'd love to have a record of your attendance with us. We'll give you some more information about what's coming up at the church over the next few weeks. Uh, but for the rest of you, you should have also received a service program. And I want you to follow along through our Bible study this morning. We're just going verse by verse by verse by verse, just a Bible study. And I hope it'll be a help as we start our revival meeting here, where we see our hearts revived in the things of God. And we're going to go right to the Bible to see this take place. If you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text. Mark chapter number 4. We're going to begin in verse number 3 in just a moment. Gospel of Mark chapter number 4. Now, before we get into it, let me give you some context on this passage, and I just want you to put on your imagination caps for a moment. I, I want you to not just hear what the Bible says, I want you to see it in your mind's eye, okay? So I want you to imagine here for a moment, Jesus, according to verses 1 through 3, he's on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That's where this is taking place, and I, I want you to imagine it. Imagine it's a beautiful day, the, the sun is shining, and the, the clouds are billowing, the, the breeze is gently blowing off of the Sea of Galilee, and, and Jesus is speaking to the multitude. All right, and as he's speaking, the crowds of people are pressing against him, and they're pushing him closer and closer to the water. Finally, they just so crowd him that he sees a boat, and he gets on the boat, and he pulls out a little ways, and he's there teaching these people. And I can only imagine, maybe the way it happened is Jesus is talking to the folks, and he looks up into the distance, and in, in the hills, he sees a farmer, and that farmer is reaching into that leather bag, and he's pulling out some seeds, and he's scattering them on the soil. And I imagine as he begins to speak, we see the context and notice what it says in verse number three. Jesus says, behold, there went out a sower to sow. A farmer was sowing seed. Verse four, and it came to pass as this farmer was sowing the seed that some fell by the wayside. That's, that's the pathway. That would be the trail where people would stomp on and the dirt would get real hard. But the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Verse 5. Uh, but some fell on stony ground. This was ground with rocks in it. Its soil had rocks and gravel in it. Where it had not much earth. The seed couldn't go down deep because of the rocks and the gravel. And so immediately it sprang up because it couldn't, had no depth of earth. It couldn't go down deep. There was too much rocks, too much gravel. But because of that, because of the roots couldn't go down deep, when the sun came up, it was scorched. The plant would get scorched. And, be, and because it had no root, it just kind of began to wither away. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns. This was ground. It was soil that was good, but it had weeds. It had thorns in it. And the thorns grew up and, and choked the plant, the seed that was sown. And so it yielded no fruit. Verse 8. And other fell on good ground. And it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60, and some a hundredfold. And you may be seated here this morning. 
Let me give you some definitions. Jesus is speaking a parable here. He's telling a story to the multitudes. He's telling a story to the masses. And, and so in order for us to understand what's going on, let me give you some definitions of what each of these things mean. First of all, I want you to see that the seed in this story, this parable, represents the word of God. So when this passage said seed was sown, what Jesus is referring to is the seed represents the word of God. You say, Pastor, how do you know that's what Jesus meant? Because he said so right here in verse number 14 skip down to verse number 14 he says the sower soweth the word <laughs> all right that's how we know that's what he meant it says right here in this particular passage so the seed it re represents the word of god it, we could say it this way the seed represents the truth of god all truth is god's truth and whatever truth is being sown that is the seed whenever we talk about seed that's what we're referring to the word the truth of god uh, the sower represents anyone who gives the word or shares the word. This could be a pastor. This could be a missionary. This could be an evangelist. This could be a, a connection Bible study leader. This could be a counselor that's speaking God's truth into your life. This could be a good godly friend that's trying to help you and admonish you and encourage you. It could be your spouse. It's a sower is anybody who shares the word of God into your life. That's the sower, okay? So the seed represents the word of God. The sower represents anyone who shares the word of God. Number three, this is the most important, the soils. There are four type of soils that are mentioned here in this particular passage. And each of these soils, they represent the different heart conditions that the word of God comes in contact with. Every person in this room has a heart condition and your heart condition influences how the word of god affects you this is important in this passage jesus identifies four heart conditions and every one of you in this room fall into one of these four heart conditions and jesus uses the story of a parable to help us kind of understand what he's talking about so here's my big question for you here today i want you to ask yourself of these four soils that Jesus is speaking of, which one best represents my heart? You guys do that with me today? I know it's going to be hard. I know some of you are going to want to be like, I'm trying to identify my spouse's heart condition. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> some of you parents are like, I'm going to try to identify my, my teenager's heart condition, you know? Here, can you, just for a moment, can you just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me which one of these four soils represents my heart. We're going to talk about heart. All right, and this is so important. Lastly, the last definition, fruit is used over and over again. Or fruit, what does that mean? According to Galatians chapter number five, when Jesus is speaking of fruit, he is talking about the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and hope. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, do you want this abund fruitful, abundant life? To overflow in your life? Do you want joy to overflow 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold? Do you want peace that passeth understanding? You want, it to, you want peace that just is like 30-fold and 60-fold, 100-fold? Do you just want peace to overflow from your life? Or, or what about just the ability to love and to experience love and to feel worthy and just to experience the affection and the love of God 30-fold, 60-fold. Jesus is saying, if you want to experience for yourself a fruitful, abundant life, then what we're going to talk about is so, so important, all right? So, if you'll allow me, we're going to look at the four heart conditions that are represented in these four different types of soil. And the only question I want us to ask each other, and I was asking myself this question all week, which one of these four heart conditions best describes my heart? That's all I want us to ask each other, okay? Four heart conditions, which one best describes me? Let's start with our Bible study in verse number four. Verse number four. Jesus says, It came to pass as this farmer sowed the seed that some fell by the wayside. What's the wayside? It's, it's the pathway. It's where people would walk. So this farmer, he's throwing out seed as they would do in ancient biblical times back in the agricultural revolution. These farmers would throw out the seed from a leather bag. And the Bible says that Jesus in the story is saying some of that seed fell on the road. It fell on the hard ground where people would walk and stomp. And so this type of ground, this ground represents a type of heart. Let's see what he says in verse 4. He says, 
and the fowls of the air came and devoured it. That seed, because the ground was so hard, the seed couldn't go into the earth. All right? Now, I want you to track with me for a moment. So the disciples, they're here that day. They're listening to Jesus. He's on the boat, the Bible says. He's preaching and he's teaching. And they're like, yeah, they're listening. These disciples are listening along with the rest of the crowd. They're shaking their head. And then what you're going to see is they come down a little bit later in, in verses number 9. And uh, they said to him here, and when they were alone, verse 10, they that were with him with the twelve, they asked him the parable. And they said, what does it mean? The disciples are like, this is good. I like this, Jesus. What are you talking about? <laughs> We don't get it. So now, in the rest of the chapter, Jesus is going to define what he means through this story. So that's the end of this chapter. So what we're going to see in verse number four, he says, hey, some of the seed, some of the word went to this hard ground. It fell on this path. And the disciples are like, oh, that's cool. What, is it? what are you talking about, Jesus? So in verse number 15, he's going des to describe it. He says in verse 15, these are the hearts of they by the wayside. When the word is sown, when they have heard with their ears, notice, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that is sown in their heart. Which leads us to the first heart condition mentioned in this passage, and that is this, if you're taking notes. The hard ground represents a closed off heart. The hard ground in this passage represents a closed off heart. This is the type of person, their heart, they're just, they're closed. Their heart is hard. Life has been difficult and they've grown bitter. They're upset. They're frustrated. They don't think people have been fair to them. They don't think life has been fair to them. They don't think God has been fair to them. And they're just calloused. They're bitter. They're hard. They're frustrated. And they're just, oh, life's so, oh, this is hard. They're closed off. And so somebody, a good friend comes along, or a pastor comes along, or a counselor comes along, and they try to give them God's truth. They try to inspire them. They try to motivate them. They try to encourage them with God's truth. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it can't go in. The person's heart is just closed. Something happened to them when they were younger. That ex did something to them. Their parents did something to them. And they're just bitter. They're upset. They're closed off. And you know what? The word of God doesn't get in deep. It just sits there. And the enemy comes along. He's like, all right. Throws it away. The seed doesn't get in very deep. I want you to notice what Hebrews chapter number 4 verse 2 has to say about this. It says the word preached did not profit them. Do you understand that there might be people in this room right now and as the word of God is being preached, it's not doing anything for you. It's not impacting you. It's not inspiring you. It's not motivating you. It literally is doing nothing for you. Why is that? The word preached did not profit them. Why? It was not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. There's no faith. You might be sitting here today and you might be saying, well, you know, I just don't get fed here anymore. Now, word of God just, just is not, not affecting me anymore. It, it might be that maybe the word of God's not being preached. I think the word of God's being preached. It might be that your heart is hard. You're bitter at somebody, you're offended, you're frustrated, you're cold, you're calloused, and God's truth is no longer making any impact in your life. Let me describe this practically. There might be somebody here today and somebody else in this room so irritates you Somebody in this room right now, they just so frustrate you that every time you come to church, something happens in your heart and you just get all, mm, oh. And so you sit here and you'll hear the word, but it, it doesn't do anything. It just bounces off your hard, calloused, cold heart. And you come week after week, oh, I don't get fed. Man, it's not doing anything for me. 
It did not profit you because it is not mixed with faith. Somebody has robbed you of your faith. Maybe you come and it's like, well, I don't really like the personalities of the people sharing the word. They're not funny enough. They're not interesting enough. They're not cool enough. They're not this enough. They're not that enough. And so all of a sudden that keeps you from being able just to receive the word. Or maybe it's a preference at the church and you think, well, at the churches I like, I like churches that do it this way or I like churches that do it that way. And so because of that, it causes your heart to grow closed and calloused and hard. And so when the word of God is authentically shared, it literally does not do anything for you. And I'm going to say this, in this room, there might be somebody here right now and you've been coming to church week after week month after month maybe even for years now and while there are people around you who are being enriched and there are people around you who are being encouraged and there's people around you that are being motivated inspired you're like coming week after week and your heart gets harder and harder and colder and colder and more calloused and you have not been fed for months and the word is not profiting you For whatever reason, you've allowed something to rob you of your faith. It's not being mixed with faith. And that's what Jesus is describing here. Jesus is saying, I want you to experience the fruit of abundant life. I want you to experience so much joy. And I want your life to overflow with so much peace. And I want you to be able to love and experience love. But your cold, calloused heart is keeping you from being able to experience that. Your heart is hard. It's calloused. You know what the enemy likes to do when he sees somebody with a cold, calloused heart? He comes in, and the Bible says he snatches out the word and takes it away. He just, he's like, it didn't go anywhere. I'm just grabbing. gets rid of it. And you know what? These people walk out these doors, and literally within minutes of leaving the church, nothing that was said from God's word is even on their mind. Like, they don't even think about it. God's word doesn't penetrate their heart. It doesn't penetrate their mind. Like, nothing hard heart. This is why, like the psalmist, we need to pray, oh God, oh Lord, open my heart that I may behold wondrous things out of thy word. God, just open my heart. And I would say this to you, whenever the Bible is open, whether it's in your devotional time, whether it's at church, whether it's at your connection group, whether a friend opens up the word and shares God's truth, can I say this? Whenever the scriptures are opened, ask the author to open your heart. Because it has to be mixed with faith or else you are going to miss out on the fruitful, abundant life that God wants you to to experience. And some of you, it's been a long time since you've experienced abundant Christian life, the fruit of it, the joy of your salvation, and the peace that passes understanding. It's been a long time since you've experienced that. And it might be that your heart is cold, it's calloused, it's bitter, and it's grown hard. And the devil, every time, can come in and just snatch out the word and throw it away. So let me ask you number one. Do you have a closed off heart? Is that you? Is that you today? I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to tell you what is. I'm just going to ask you, is that you? Let's keep reading. There's a second type of heart mentioned in verse number five. The scriptures say, but some of this seed fell on stony ground. This is interesting to me. Because it had not earth, there was so much gravel and so much rock, there's not a lot of soil, so the seed couldn't go in very deep. And notice what it says in verse 5. So immediately it sprang up. There was nowhere for the roots to go, so this plant just sprung up really quick in verse number 5. Because it had no depth of earth, verse 6. But when the sun came up, it scorched because there was no roots, and so that plant now withers away. Jesus, what are you talking about there? What, What type of heart condition is that? Now, I could guess if I wanted to, and I could, you know, let's get, let me give you my opinion about what Jesus meant, but I'm not going to do that today. Can I just go to the Bible and let Jesus tell you what he meant, all right? So we're going to skip down, and we're going to see exactly what Jesus said this uh, means. Verse number 16, he's going to say, verse 16, he's explaining it to his disciples. It says in verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. He said, I'm going to describe to you, I'm going to tell you what's happening here on this stony ground. When they have heard the word, these people, again, they're hearing the word. They're coming to church. They go to connection group Bible studies. They let their friends counsel them with the truth of God's word. They heard the word, but immediately, this is interesting, immediately they receive it with gladness. Let's pause there for a second. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Immediately, yes, they hear it, and they receive it with gladness. That sounds pretty good. Jesus is describing what the stony ground looks like. Notice the next verse in verse number 17. But they have no roots. And so while it endures for a time, the plant endures for a little while, afterwards, 
when affliction, persecution come, that is when hard times come and difficulties come and trials come, and how many of you have experienced hard times in your life? This is what Jesus is saying. The seed of the word starts to develop some peace and some joy. It starts, to, it starts to spring up, but as soon as a hard time comes, as soon as a difficulty comes, as soon as relationship problems and financial problems and health problems and problems with people at work and problems with your spouse and problems with your kids, as soon as the problem something happens, notice what it says in verse 17. When affliction or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. It's a shout, it, they've got something, it, the roots don't go down deep, and they're like, well, this doesn't work. You say, what, what are we talking about here? This leads us to the second heart condition addressed in this passage. Not only do we see the hard ground represents a closed off heart, but we see the stony ground represents a superficial heart. I want you to, I want you to think about this for a moment, and I'm going to be honest. I travel around to a lot of churches. I preach in most states around the country. I preach in the majority of continents around the world. And I'm going to say this. This describes the majority of Western Christians that I meet. Let me describe what I mean by that. So in this passage, the Bible says here in verses number 16, it says these are they, they when they hear the word of God, they immediately receive it with gladness. I want you to notice a couple of things about the way the seed is sown. So they come to church, they go to studies, they go get counsel, they hear the word of God, and it inspires them. And they receive it, they're like, I hear that immediately, and the Bible says they even receive it with gladness. And immediately they make a very quick, shallow, but I'm going to say this, emotional decision. You say, what do you mean by that? It says they received it with gladness. When they, when they heard it, it made them feel good. They made it feel good, but the word didn't go down deep. You say, what, is, what are we talking about here? That is to say, this is a person with a heart condition who, who goes to church. This, this might be us. They hear the music, and the music just inspires them. Man, they hear the teaching, and it just motivates them. They're like, yeah! that's what I need and and they get with the other Christian people and and they make them feel so good so they make a quick emotional response that makes them feel good it's just it's it's quick it's emotional it feels right but but they never allow the word to seep deep into the essence and core of who they are it never changes them on a deep level it's just an emotional decision and it might be that you, there are some people right here right now, and you love coming to church. You love how the music makes you feel. You love how the preaching of the teaching motivates you, and, and getting with the other people just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. But you wonder, how come my life doesn't continue to bear fruit on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? How come it's just like this, it's quick, it's emotional, feels good for a moment, but it doesn't last? Why, why might that be? Because many want a quick fix, but they don't really allow the truth of God to see deep into the core of who they are. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm saying this, there are many Christians and they do not allow the truth of God's word to influence the deep parts of their heart. You say, what is that? It is their values. It is their motivations. It is their priorities, their thoughts, and their beliefs. I want you to ask yourself this question. How has being under the word of God changed what drives you? I'm not talking about how you look different on the service or how you dress when you come to church or what words you say when you're around a preacher. I'm not saying that. I'm saying how have you allowed the word to change what's important to you, what you value in life. I'm asking you how have you allowed the word to change what drives you and what motivates you. You know what I tend to see in a lot of churches? We have a lot of believers and sometimes I fall into this category myself and most Christians are motivated by the same thing that motivates their unsaved neighbors. They're driven by the same motives that drives their unbelieving coworkers. They have the same motivations, the same values. 
the same perspectives on life. And Jesus is saying the reason your life doesn't always bear fruit and it doesn't always abound with joy and with peace is because the seed doesn't go down deep. It just affects your emotions. It just affects your behavior on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. It just affects some of the words you sing during a worship service. But it isn't changing the core of who you are. You don't let it get down deep. And I'm, I'm begging you that we would come to a place where we would allow the word of God to change us on a deep core level. At the essence of who we are. Can I ask you this question? How are your motivations more like Jesus than they were a year ago? I want to what, what drives you now I'm driven to love people, and I'm driven to glorify Christ, and, and that's what I want most in this world, or do you still have the same motivations and drives that you had before you were a believer? More money, more popularity, better looks, bigger houses, and I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I'm just saying, if we are going to experience continual fruit of abundant life, peace and joy and love and hope, it's got to change us on a deep level. It's got to change our values. We have got to allow God to change us at the core of who we are. But many times we don't allow it, and so our hearts stay in a very shallow state. Whenever the emotions are there, woo, I feel good. But as soon as the emotions pass, as soon as we're not around a Christian or not around church, because there was no deep heart change that took place, we're not really changed. Our motives aren't changed, our values aren't changed, our priorities aren't changed, nothing real has actually changed. And so you know what happens? Because our desires have never changed, eventually you're just going to go back to living the way you used to live and doing the things you used to do and behaving the way you used to behave. And you can try and you can try and you can try and whenever you feel good, you can do it. But it won't last because you're not being changed on a deep core level. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, we've got to allow the seed to go deep into our thought processes and our values and our motivations and change us at a very core level. And so I got to ask you this question. Do you allow that? When God starts to work on your values and what's important to you, do you let him? When he wants to change your drives and your motivations, can he? Or you're like, no, God, you can be around when I need to feel good at church. Or do you want to allow a change? And that's what you, these are shallow Christians. And you say, what happens? If you find yourself and you have a shallow heart, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus said. Whenever hard times come, you're going to throw up your hands and be like, eh, it doesn't work. Because it was just all about an emotion for you. It was all about a feeling. And so when hard times come and it doesn't feel good to allow God to wreck your heart and build something new, you like, I'm out, white flag, I'm out of here, this Jesus thing, this church thing. And, and that's why typically in America, people last three years in a church. And I'm not being judgmental and I'm not being harsh. I'm just saying it's got to go deeper than just emotions and feelings got to change the essence and core of who we are but the stony ground it represents a shallow heart this is why in isaiah the prophet said in isaiah 29 he says these people come near to me with their mouths they honor me with the lips these are people they know how to say they know how to talk to talk they know how to sing the worship praises. They know how to, when they get around Christian people, say all the right things. They know all the Bible stories and how to talk about Jesus. They know what to say, but their hearts are far from me. What's important to them is not what's important to God. And we got teenagers running around, and what's important to the heart of Jesus is not important to our teenagers. And what motivates the heart of our Heavenly Father does not motivate the heart of most people in church. And the way they see the world is not the way the scriptures tell us to see the world. We're shallow. And then we wonder why every little difficulty makes us just want to quit on this whole God thing. Because it's not real. You can go to a movie and get an emotional experience. You can, go to a, you can go to a concert and get emotional experience. It, we need something more than just an emotional change. We need to experience heart change. And God's word says, I'll, I'll change you at a core level. I'll change your motivations. I'll change your desires. I'll change your worldviews. I'll change the heart, the essence of who you really are. Because guess what? When all of a sudden you come to a place and you allow that to happen, 
you don't have to try to serve God anymore. You don't have to. Why? It just happens. You want to. You just want to. It flows out of your heart. Let me say it this way. I think we're going to throw this on the screen. While individuals with a superficial heart condition may go through the motions of Christianity and even be well-intentioned. I'm not saying people who have this heart condition, they're not trying to be ingenuous. Uh, Most of the time, people with a shallow heart condition, they really mean well. These aren't bad people. They don't, most of the time, they don't even know that this is where they're at. While individuals with a superficial heart condition may go through the motions of Christianity and even be very well-intentioned, they generally don't allow the word of God to go enough, go deep enough to affect the core of who they are. Let's keep scrolling. I want you to see this. Yet, even though they don't allow it to go deep, they expect to reap all the fruitful benefits of the abundant Christian life. So they're shallow, but then they expect to have all the joy that God offers, and they expect to have all the peace that the Bible talks about, and they expect to have all this hope and, and experience all this love, and then, they, and then they become frustrated and disillusioned when they don't experience it. And that's usually when they tap out. And they're like, it ain't real. And you know what? For them, it wasn't. Shallow Christianity. They, re- they hear the word. They receive it. It makes them feel good when they go to church. But it ain't changing them. Not the deep parts of who they are. And I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm talking about your values, your motivations, the inner parts of your core. Stony ground keep moving here. There's a third ground that Jesus mentions. So we see here in this passage, the hard ground represents that closed off heart. Maybe you're here and you have a closed off heart. You're bitter and you're callous and you're angry and nothing from God's word, nothing of God's truth does anything for you. Maybe you have a shallow heart and you receive and every time you come to church you feel kind of good, but it doesn't really change you on any core level and so you just keep getting discouraged every time a hard time, every time things get hard for you. And, and it never really changed you at a core level, but here's the third part. Notice verse 7. Verse 7, but some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded, notice this, no fruit. Okay, what, what does Jesus mean? What kind of heart does this represent? Notice verse 18 and 19, Jesus is going to tell us what he's talking about. Verse 18, these are they which are sown among thorns. These are such that hear the word. Once again, they're hearing the word. These people come to church, they go to Bible studies, they listen to godly counselors, they listen to Christian radio. These are generally what we would consider really good people. But what happens? But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word. Notice this, I love, this word is interesting. And it becomes unfruitful. Did you see that? There might have been some fruit in this person's life. They hear the word and they allow it to change part of their heart. And maybe this is you today. And when people give you counsel from God's word and you come in here preaching, you go to Bible study, you really do. It literally changes you on some level. It it really makes a difference. But, But there are thorns and there are weeds in this type of soil. You say, what does that represent? That represents the Christian they're actually doing it. This is the real deal. This is a real, authentic, they're not just being shallow, it really is real. And for a while, they're doing really good. And maybe you've been here before, and for a year, you're doing really good, and you're in the Word, and it's feeding you, and your life is abounding with peace and joy and the fruit of the Spirit, and it's just overflowing in your life. But he says, but, but, but what happens? It says in verse 19, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches distracts them. So number three, I want you to see this that the thorny ground represents a distracted heart. These are Christians. They're doing well. That is, they allow the word of God to seep deep in their life, and it actually, for a while, it's fruitful. That's why it becomes unfruitful, all right? It couldn't become unfruitful if it wasn't fruitful first. But something distracts them. And in this passage, Jesus gives us two specific thorns that he sees in the hearts of people that choke their spiritual lives, that choke their ability to experience joy and peace and hope and love just constantly in their life. And it's two main things, and I want you to get this, because I think I said the last one was indicative of most churches. This is probably the one that if if we as a church family struggle with anything, it might be this one here, talking to us, we're family. I think there's a lot of Christians, and you know what? This is the real deal to you. 
You want God to change your heart. You want him to change your motivations. You want him, and and it has worked for a while, but here's what happens. All of a sudden, these common distractions come along. He gives us two. I want you to see the two that, that choke the life out of most Christians and choke their ability to have peace and joy and love. Two things. Notice what it says in verse number 19. He says, first of all, the cares of this world. We might say it this way, the responsibilities of this world. You say, what is it talking about? It's talking about raising kids, going to work, laundry, mowing the lawn, taking kids to sports, all the just basic responsibilities of real life, good things. These are not sins. These are not bad things. They are good things. All the things we're involved in that keep us from the best things, and that is cultivating a heart for God, busyness. Godly Christians, Christians that desire to seek the Lord, have to get really good at saying no to a lot of good things. And most of us don't want to do this. I'm going to say this again. I'm talking to us, I'm talking to family. You and I, we have to get really good at saying no to some good things so we can say yes to the best things. And a lot of us struggle with that. Saying no to a friend that we care about saying no to a hobby, saying it's not the season of life. I do not have margin for it and continue to be, experience abundant Christian life. I I just get cumbered with the cares of this world. They're not bad things. They are good things that choke the life out of the best things. What is it for you? What are the good things in your life that choke the life out of the best things? You're busy running here, busy doing that, busy doing those things. What is it the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I just got to say no to some things? It's, it's, those are the rocks and the stones that build up in your heart that choke out the life. And it's keeping you from experiencing joy. It's keeping you from experiencing peace. You're frustrated. You're irritated. You're stressed out all the time. It's just, you just have a hard time to say, you know what? My, my walk with the Lord, my relationship with my church, my, my relationship with family, that's about what I got time for. And we try to do so many more things than that. And it's busyness. There's one other thing that Jesus mentions here in verse 19. He says this. He says, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things. I'm going to say this, materialism, materialism, materialism here. What are the common distractions? It's this lust for other things in our lives. Can I, can I ask you this question right now? Are there, is there something in your heart? Is there something in your desires? And you would say, you know what? It's causing, it's causing my attention, my focus to go somewhere else. It is a distraction that's keeping you from experiencing the fruitful, abundant life that God has for you. Notice this. It says here, the lust for other things. Can I say this? There's nothing wrong with wanting to work overtime at your job so you can climb the corporate ladder. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a bigger house or a nicer car. In and of itself, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. Here's here's where this gets dangerous. When we start to convince ourselves that we need those things to be happy, that we've got to have this person act this way, and I've got to have this much money in the bank to feel safe, and I have to have this promotion at work to feel significant, and I have to have that type of house to feel important, and all of a sudden the deceitfulness of riches and your lusts for other things are like a thorn that chokes out your ability to experience abundant, fruitful, victorious Christian life. I'm not a prophet, but I'm just going to say it bluntly. At the end of the day, what your heart yearns for the most is not a bigger house or a nicer car or better vacations or more money. You know what your heart wants? It wants to be happy and have joy. That's all you're looking for. You want to have peace in the midst of any situation. That, that's ultimately what your heart wants. It just wants, it wants joy. It wants peace. It wants to be loved and to feel acceptance, that's, at the, at the end of the day, that is ultimately what you want. But here's what the enemy does. He tells you, oh, those are good, but the best way to get it is by working more hours and buying more stuff and wearing cooler cars. And the enemy comes along and says, if you do all of that, then you'll be happy and then you'll have peace and then you'll have joy. It is the deceitfulness of riches. It is a lie. It is not bad. It is inadequate. 
bad to have a big house. Don't feel guilty if you have a nice house and cool cars and nice clothes. It's, not an, it's just inadequate to give you what your heart most deeply craves. That's all I'm saying. And yet many Christians, this is where they're at. They're at a place and their heart, this thorny ground, is all these thorns, there's all these other competing things that are choking the life out of what they need most. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching this message? Because I want you to have what your heart most deeply craves. I want you to have joy unspeakable. And some of you are not experiencing that. And I want you to have a peace that passeth understanding and you're, that's not your reality. And I want you to feel loved and accepted and fulfilled and worthy in your position in Christ. And that's not your Christian experience. And I, I'm envious of that for you. Because the enemy's coming along and he is so distracting you and he says, well, if you'll do that and if you'll make more money here and if you'll work longer hours here and if you'll buy this and you'll have that, that'll satisfy. No, it won't. Jesus does. Experiencing his presence, enjoying his word and his will. That's where this fruitful, abundant life really comes from. And yet there's this distracted heart. Distracted heart. I'll put this on the screens, but if the enemy can't destroy us with bad things, he'll distract us with good things that keep us from the best things. And this is one of the secrets of how the enemy destroys the church from within. He's like, oh, I'm not going to get you to do bad things. You, you guys aren't sinners. You would never do that. So he distracts us with good things. And I'm not going to name them because what a distraction for one person might not be a distraction for another. There might be a guy in here and he goes bowling league every week and still spends time in the word, cultivating his soul, enriching his heart with the things of God. And there might be another guy and you don't have time for it. You don't have time for NASCAR. You don't have time for football. You just, your life is not, you're not at a life stage where you have margin for it. And you just need to say, Holy Spirit, it's not healthy for me. And bowling league and hunting facebook and social media and sometimes it's our kids i wanted my kids to have a better life than i do and so we run them to this sport running them to that sport and we think we're doing them good and all we're teaching them is how to suffocate the spirit out of their life so they can never get what their soul most desperately craves i want this for you but our hearts grow these stones that choke the life out of it. And Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The things of this earth will never satisfy. They'll never bring the significance that they promise. They'll never bring, money will never bring the sense of security that your soul most desperately longs for. The presence and experiencing Jesus is what brings that. Fix your eyes on that. Then lastly, we'll be done. Verse 8, Jesus says in verse number 8, he says, he says, and the other, the, this is the fourth ground, fell on good ground. It fell on good ground. It did bear, yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100 fold, which you say, what is that talking about? Verse 20, Jesus says, I'm going to explain this to you disciples, and these are they which are sown on good ground. This is such as hear the word. So these people hear the word just like everybody else, but there's a difference. There's something that's added here. Notice those words. Not only did they hear them, it says, and received it. This is big. See, the other three soils, they heard the word. They came to church. They did Bible studies. They even read the Bible. They listened to Christian radio. They heard the word. They liked every scripture post on Facebook, and they post it to other people's walls. They knew it. But there's a difference between hearing it and receiving it. The word receive in the Greek simply says, it simply means to make your own make it your own it's not just God's truth now this is my truth this is not just what God says this is what I want it's mine it's mine I've received it with faith it's yours verse 20 this leads us to the final heart condition addressed in this passage and the good ground represents a surrendered heart this is a heart that says God I don't know why you're doing what you're doing in my life 
I don't know why you allowed this to happen and those things to happen, but God, I'm not going to grow bitter. I'm not going to grow hard. And when I'm just, that's, I'm not going to have a closed off heart. And, and when it comes along and it gets in, I'm going to let it go down deep and change me at a core level. It's not just a shallow thing. I'm, God, I, I'm surrendered. I receive this deep into my, my values and my motivations. God, you can change the entire, you can change everything about me, God. I'm surrendered to it. And God, when things come along that try to distract me and try to get my attention and try to pull my, my time and my, my energy away from things that cultivate a heart for you, we all have to work and we all have to spend time with our kids and we all have to work. But we need to create margins and boundaries. Why? Because it's a surrender and say, God, my kids are yours, my career is yours, and my money is yours, it's yours. I surrender it to you and I trust that you'll take care of me. On the screen, I'll have this and we'll be wrapping it up. Be willing to surrender the life you had planned so that you can experience the fruitful, abundant life that God has planned for you. How many of you have realized life does not go to plan? You figured that out yet? You never thought this is where your marriage would end up. You didn't think this is where your health was going to end up. You didn't think that this is where your job was going to end Can I say this? Just come to a place where you surrender and say, God... You're in control. You can say no to whatever good things in my life's trying to distract me because I want to experience fruitful, abundant life that God has planned. Several uh, years ago, I was, uh, got a phone call. My secretary said, hey, there's a guy in the church. Uh, he wants to meet with you. And I was younger at the time and a little insecure. And I remember the minute I got the message, I just got, I got real scared. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, a guy wants to meet with me. And I got started biting my fingernails. I was all nervous and worried because I just knew I did something wrong or something at the church wasn't right. And he was going to come to my office and just kind of, you know, yell at me or whatever. You know, I just I got, all, oh, I got all anxious about it. So finally the day came. The appointment came in. And uh, the gentleman sat in, my pe- sat in the chair in my office, and I'm just like, okay, you know, was that what? I prayed with him, and he, he was like, hey, I just, I just wanted you to know. God has used the word preached from our pulpit to so edify my life. And I've grown so much over these several years. It's been such a help and a blessing. And I just wanted to come personally and say thank you. Man, I was just like, I was blown away. It's never happened to me before. Never. I was like, what, what did you say? I was like, what? I was like, well, man, praise God. And I just, there's so many great people who make all this possible. And I, I just try to thank all of you for, for that, you know, those type things. And I was, I was like, feeling amazed. I was like, man, this is cool. God's using his word to change lives. And it was just inspiring. He left and and right after that, another guy came to my office, and he walked in. I'm feeling pretty good, and this guy came in. He sat in my office. He said, Pastor, we're leaving the church. What? We just don't get fed here anymore. The last couple of years, the preaching hasn't been real helpful. God's word hasn't really been, you know, obviously it might be. Some, and I'm, I'm sitting here, and it's just like, what? What's, I, I just was confused. That's where I was. I was like, I was, I didn't, I was just perplexed. I was like, how, do, how does that happen? Same messages, same sermon, same Bible study. <sighs> keep, just keep preaching the word. Not getting fed anymore. Could it be that it had less to do with the circumstances of the message and more to do with the condition of the heart? Maybe. Here's my question. Where's your heart? Poor, poor heart condition. Hard ground represents a closed off heart. Do you have a closed off heart? Something happened in your life and you're bitter and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're upset and you're just, oh, you're closed off. Something at the church has closed you off. Somebody's personality, something somebody did, you just, it's closed whenever you get around God's word. Maybe it's stony ground. And every time you come to church, you feel good, but it just doesn't last into your week. It doesn't go down deep. It doesn't change anything real. And so you have to come every week to church to kind of get motivated again, you know, to get out there. And every week it's like a roller coaster, up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And you're just like, you need everybody around you to prop you up because nothing inside is really changing. Maybe it's a thorny ground. It really is bearing fruit. But you, there's, some, there's some rocks, there's some distractions in your life that you allow to stay there. And it's choking the life out of your joy. 
You don't even realize it. You think it's the thing that's going to bring you joy when in reality it's robbing you of it. You think it's going to bring you peace eventually if you just kind of, and it's robbing you of it. Or is it a good ground with that surrendered heart that brings forth fruit? Notice what it says in verse 20, some 20, some 30, some 50, some 100 fold. You know what God wants you and you know what I want for you? I want your joy to increase a hundredfold in the year 2019. I want you to be a hundred times more joyful a year from today than you are today. I want you to experience a hundred times more love and acceptance than you are one year from now than you are today. I want you to, I, that's what I want for you. But a lot of it might depend on the condition of your heart. Do you have a surrendered heart? A surrendered heart. This week, we're going to get together for some Bible studies over the next few days, but it's all going to start with your heart. We can talk, and we can preach, and we can proclaim God's word, but if your heart is stony, if your heart is hard, if it's callous, it's not going to profit. It's not going to matter. So let's start with the heart. Which one of these four heart conditions best describes you? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.